Amen. Well, you may be seated. If you do have a Bible with you or a phone with you, would you please turn to Philemon or Philemon. We'll be in this beautiful letter, probably the most personal letter that Paul writes in the New Testament to his friend and dear, dearly beloved brother. But as we see in this letter, he even says, to the church, which means he, he means the people that, that are in Philemon's house church to be encouraged as well. And the Holy Spirit means us, for us as God's people today, to be encouraged by this letter from the Apostle Paul to his dear brother in the faith. To see the power, the transforming, life-changing, grace-filled power of the gospel of all that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Before we jump in, I want to thank uh, the brothers and sisters of this church. I know I got to do that last week, but to thank you all for the sabbatical that was granted to me over this summer. Um, such a gift for us as a church to be in deep, for my family to spend a lot of time together, uh, to be able to drink deeply of the gospel and to spend time with the Lord. And, and even during sabbatical, there were times where I felt like you know what, I'm still just in this kiddie pool of God's love and grace of all that I've been given in Jesus when I think about the gospel. I mean, I'm still in this little kiddie pool and I'm longing to get to the deep end where I could even see even more the depths of all of his love and all of his grace and all the joy that's been given to me in Jesus. But really, when we stop and think about it, when we get to heaven one day, we're going to realize that we're not just trying to get to the deep end, that God's love and his grace and joy is an ocean that for all eternity we'll never get to the depths of. And so I pray that even as we open this simple and beautiful letter, that we would be moved by the grace and love and joy of Jesus and that it would fill this church to do the same like our Savior Jesus. Let's read the first seven verses together. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's pray together once again. Father, we ask that you would help us would you help us by the power of your spirit to see the grace and the joy and the beauty of Jesus? And as we receive that vertical grace and love and forgiveness and joy that, that is overflowing from Jesus, Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, horizontally in the brothers and sisters of this church, that we would love and we would encourage and that we would speak about the evidences of God's grace and the power of his resurrection in our lives here. Lord, help me love your people through the preaching of your word. But Lord, even more than that, would you love us deeply, even as we hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, it's amazing how two little words, two small words could have such a universe-shifting effect on my life. On August 7th, 2004, 17 years ago yesterday, two words changed the trajectory of my life forever as I married my beautiful wife, Rebecca Elizabeth Catlett. And two little words I do changed everything. Two little words redirected me to fully serve and to lay down my life for this one woman over all others, to turn my heart and affection away from all others towards her. Two little words change my TV shows forever. Two little words change my meals. They made my meals taste better. They made my house look more beautiful. My, my laughs grow louder. My family grow fuller. My target trips grow exponentially. <laughs> I don't know if I knew what target was before. But two little words, two simple words, I do, changed everything. Well, this morning we opened this small but personal, beautiful letter from the Apostle Paul personal letter to a man named Philemon, a man who came to faith while hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing of the good news of Jesus, a brother who'd been transformed by this gospel and who's now leading a house church. And Paul's writing to Philemon to remind him that this simple good news, this simple true story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it changes everything about us. See, the, the gospel's not just a nice story about how now you can have a ticket to go to heaven one day. You've got a reserved seat waiting for you in glory. No, it's the power of God that saves you from your sin. But not only saves you from your sin, it, it changes you. It transforms you today and forever. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this gospel that I, I preach to you, brothers and sisters, the one that you receive, the one in which you stand, the one you're still being saved by. It's the true and good news of how a holy God sent his sinless son to live for you, to die for you, to rise again, so that today, so that this morning you could experience right now the resurrection power of Jesus in your life. This is true of all of us who are Christians today. The, the gospel changes everything about us. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone here this morning is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When, when we're saved by Jesus, you're made brand new. You're given a new heart. You're giving a new will. You're giving a new mind. You're giving new affections, new passions, new purpose. Even as we'll see in this letter, you're going to be given new relationships with one another. There's absolutely nothing in your life that the gospel shouldn't be touching. So my prayer is that the 
the gospel that is the power of God for salvation, that we would experience it as the power of God for transformation in our lives. That we would experience that. Pastor and author Jared Wilson says that the gospel is not just for unbelievers here today. Every Sunday we are re-evangelizing one another with the good news of Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that as we treasure Jesus together, that it would help us as a church family to give gospel encouragement to one another. To help us humbly give and exhort one another with gospel appeals and exhortations. That it would help us have gospel exhortation, expectations for what Jesus could do through beggars who would fall down and cast ourselves on him. Today I want us to first look at gospel encouragement in these seven verses. I want us to, to think about what would it look like for Christ's fellowship to be a church a faith-filled community that's quick to see God's grace at work in one another and not just see it, but you have to talk about it. Where you must speak about it for not only our joy, but for the glory of God. That's the first thing we see here. The first encouragement I want us to have is to encourage one another in the gospel. Encourage one another in the gospel. Paul begins by saying in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Paul is constantly, always thanking the Lord every time that Philemon comes to his mind. Every time God brings Philemon to his mind, he's filled with thanksgiving. He, he's thanking God for the power and the grace that's displayed beautifully in Philemon's life. But I want us to notice that this is not just flattery. Paul is about, in the next few verses, he's about to have to appeal to Philemon to do one of the hardest things that any of us ever have to do. He's going to have to forgive and to be reconciled to someone that he might not want to forgive. It might be hard to be reconciled to them. But, but listen, this, these first seven verses, this is, this is not Paul flattering him. This is genuine thanksgiving. This is not Paul doing the old Oreo sandwich deal. Y'all know about the Oreo sandwich? Like, you got to give the positive, then you can throw in the negative, and then you can throw it, you have to end it with a positive. P Paul's not doing that with this letter. He, he's not buttering up Philemon before he drops the hammer in verse 8. No, this is Paul commending and genuinely celebrating and being thankful for what is commendable in Philemon. We must all do this. As Christians, we must commend what is commendable. We must value what is valuable. We must praise what is praiseworthy. We must, when we see grace, we must speak about the grace that we see in one another. Think about the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this difficult letter to Corinth, and some very serious charges of sin are given throughout this letter. I mean, just a laundry list of division in the church, idolatry, sexual immorality, lawsuits, a lack of love for one another, division over gifts, and yet, yet this doesn't stop the Apostle Paul from beginning the letter like this. I give thanks to my God 
always. I give my thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I'm always thankful for you, church at Corinth. And Paul shows us the reason that he's always thankful for Philemon. He's The reason he can't quit thinking, look at verse 5. Because, he says, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. When he's hearing reports of Philemon, he's hearing about how Philemon is trusting in Jesus and loving his brothers and sisters. These are two chief marks of every believer in Christ. Anyone that is truly born again, who's been saved by Jesus. These should be marks of a life changed by the gospel. That you have not only a deep trust in Jesus, but you have a deep love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't just treasure Jesus, but you cherish your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul, in verse 6, he's praying that these would increase all the more, that they would get to know the fullness of all that they have in Christ as he continues to share his faith. He's saying, I want you to know more and more and more of all the goodness and all the grace that you have in Jesus. So I think the text makes us ask ourselves, makes us pause for a moment to say, to ask ourselves, are, are these evidenced in your life? That you have a deep trust in Jesus and that you deeply love brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a characteristic of those who are in Christ. Do you love Jesus and do you love your brothers and sisters? But what I want to ask ourselves today is, are we a church filled with this kind of gospel encouragement? Are we a church that's quick to see and, and quick to speak about the evidences of God's grace that we see in one another? Do we notice someone when they're filled with love, with the selflessness? Do we notice people when they're walking by faith and that we have to testify to the power of God that's working in their lives? You know, to encourage someone literally means to put courage in them. It's to put courage in them. It's, it's God giving you the supernatural ability when you see and when you hear about what's going on in others' lives to be life-giving and grace-giving with your words. Paul's doing that with this letter to Philemon, and we should do this towards one another. I mean, just think about this. In a, in a world that we live in that's filled with anxiety, I saw a study this week that said people said... Uh, they're 62% more anxious today than they were last year. 62% of people say that they're more anxious today than they were at this point last year. We're in a world full of depression where people wake up and wonder, why am I getting out of bed today? I want to give up on life. I mean... In a world where some people haven't heard encouraging words since they moved out of their house. And many others probably didn't even hear it when they were in that house. Maybe I've never heard an encouraging word for years and decades. And, 
And the Bible is saying that we can be used this morning. You can speak. And through your words, God, through your words, show, give grace to those who hear, Ephesians 4 says. Your gospel encouragement can lavish the grace and the love of Jesus on someone who needs it. Listen, this shouldn't be rare for a church. It shouldn't be rare for a church when we see people loving their brothers and sisters, loving the saints, when we see people walking by faith. This should be weekly. This should be even a daily habit for those who are in Christ. Where you witness God's grace. You're witnessing the power of the gospel in someone's life, displayed in someone's life, and where you have to be overflowing. You, you must testify to the grace and goodness you see by encouraging that person. Listen, God allows you to see his grace in others so that you can celebrate his grace with others. Think about that. God allows you to see his grace in others so you can celebrate his grace with others. God has placed you in this church family not only just to, to see grace, and to keep it to yourself, but to speak about grace. We need to do this. We must do this. We, we need this from one another. And we're not talking about co commending the cute polka dot dress from Forever 21 they're wearing this Sunday. We're not talking about commending their nice, fresh Nikes that they put on this morning before they walked in. We're, no, we're talking about commending Christ's likeness. We're talking about seeing a brother and sister in Christ and saying, I see Jesus powerfully working in your life the way you love other people. I see Jesus at work in the way you cling to him by faith. It's encouraging one another, commending Christ's likeness. I see proof of his resurrection power in you. It's saying maybe this week, sending a text or calling a, a friend to say, sister, it's a joy to watch how you invest your time and sisters in this church. How really you're purposeful in the way you use the, the hours of your day, not just for yourself, but to invest that others might come to know Jesus even more. Brother, it's, I can't help but, but think about the patience and kindness of Jesus when I see you talking to your children. I see a gentle and lowly Savior in the way that you speak to your kids. Sister, your, your faith in the midst of this devastating loss that would lead everybody else to despair, the, the way that you cling to Jesus, the way I, I see you raise your hands unto the Lord in praise, it strengthens me in my faith. For us to say to one another, brother, the, the way you strive for holiness, the way you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it, it doesn't just please God. Oh, it, it strengthens me to strive to. So again, let, let me ask it this way. Are you a fault finder or a grace finder in others? Are you a fault finder or a, a grace finder in others? Are you quick to see the faults of your spouse? Quick to be critical of your kids, quick to point out the mess ups of a coworker, 
Quit to be nitpicky about everything your friends do or everything they don't do? Oh, are you, are you quicker to see and to commend and to praise God's grace powerfully working in others? Maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, well, what if I don't see anything encouraging? I mean, what if there's nothing to affirm in this person or, or that person? Well, listen, the, the problem is not, it's not that God has stopped working. The problem is that you've quit looking in your life. The problem, problem is not that, you're, that God's quit working in your wife's life or your husband's life or your children's life or your brothers and sisters. It's that you quit looking for the grace that's at work in them. There's not a day God stops working in his people, and so there shouldn't be a day that we quit encouraging one another. So before you speak another critical word of your kids, of your wife, of a coworker, why don't you stop for a moment and look for grace? And then when you see grace, don't, don't keep it to yourself. Be compelled to have to speak it to others. So be, encourage one another in the gospel of all that Christ is doing in one another's life. But let me say second of all, be encouraged by one another in the gospel. The Bible shows us that Next, that God working in us is not just for their joy, but it's for our joy too. When we witness God at work in others, that's not just for them. It's for you. It encourages you. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. For I derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed through you. Look at what Philemon's love, the effect that Philemon's love is having on others. Philemon's love has become a refreshing, overflowing fountain of joy and comfort for so many people in the faith. For those who are in the church of Colossae, they're receiving his love firsthand. For Philemon, he's getting to be encouraged because to love others more than yourself is one of the greatest joys in life. But think about this. Paul is in prison right now. He's in prison in Rome 1,300 miles away, and there's no planes, there's no Amtrak, there's no trains, there's no Land Rover. Listen, 1,300 miles away, and yet look, he's refreshed by the love of Philemon he's hearing about. Imagine with me for a moment that you're the Apostle Paul, and you're, you're sitting in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. Imagine how lonely you feel. You're no longer with the people that you've invested your life in, no longer with the people you've loved so much. Imagine all the discouraging thoughts that could consume your heart in that moment. The questions are, are they still loving Jesus? Are they still growing in their faith or have they abandoned the Lord? Are they loving one another? Maybe... Are there any divisions in the church? And then the next thing you know, you get a visitor who comes in. And he says, oh, Paul, let me tell you about what's happening in the church at Colossae. There's, yes, there is heresy coming up. There's persecution heating up there. But, oh, but watching Philemon cling to Jesus is so beautiful. And yes, there's some difficulties in the church. Some people aren't loving one another. 
But, but the way that Philemon loves and cares and pours his life out for your people, for God's people there, is, is unbelievable. You talk about a fountain of joy for the brokenhearted. Talk about comfort for the weary soul. What grace to see and to hear of all that God's doing there. So let me ask you, do, do you feel this way? Do you feel this way when you see the gospel bearing fruit powerfully in saints around you? Does it fill you with joy when you see God is still at work in this place? Does it comfort you? Are you comforted when you see Christ still changes people? His death and resurrection that, yes, happened 2,000 years ago. It's doing things now in our midst. God is doing a work by the power of the gospel in our church. Or when you see someone else's impact, someone else's ministry, someone else's fruit, does it steal your joy? Maybe because you're so full of seeking your own glory that their fruit might be seen as competition. Because you're so full of seeking your own happiness, maybe their joy is the last of your concerns. But John Piper says this, When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Think about that. When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it is probably because our hearts are full of love for self. I mean, we have to pause and wonder when, if we really understand grace, when, when people who receive a grace that they could never earn can't celebrate the grace but be frustrated by grace seen in others. Listen, church, when you, when you fail to commend what is commend, commendable, when, when you fail to value what is valuable, what is to praise what is praiseworthy, listen, you're not just robbing them of joy. You're robbing yourself of joy. Do you see that? You're not just robbing them of joy. You're robbing yourself of joy. See, when we, we often treat joy like it's a zero-sum game, Maybe if I give that person more joy, if I compliment them, if I speak of the grace I see in them, well, it's just going to be less joy for me. But listen, there's an endless, never-ending, never-ceasing Niagara Falls amount of joy for all of us in Jesus. There's an embarrassing amount of joy in Jesus that's not going to run dry anytime soon. In fact, when we're in heaven in glory with him, he can and will lavish joy on us for all eternity and never lose an ounce of it tomorrow. Have an endless supply to give to us tomorrow. So let's strive to be as lavish with our encouragement as God is with his grace. And we'll all experience an, an embarrassing amount of joy in the body of Christ that we've never experienced before. I mean, don't you want to be a, a Christian like that? Don't you want to be a brother or a sister to others like that? 
Doesn't Bowling Green need a church like that? It's, it's filled not with criticism, not with fault finding, not with a bunch of nitpicky people, but filled with encouragement because Christ has won over his people and he's still working here. A church where encouragement flows to one another as freely as God's love for sinners. That's what we want this place to be. Well, finally and quickly, we see in point three, encourage and be encouraged for the glory of God. See, there's a greater reason than just your neighbor's joy or your joy. There's a greater reason for building up one another than just having some good self-esteem going around at Christ Fellowship. Now, more than anything, encouraging one another is about bringing God glory. It's about the glory of God. See, when we encourage one another, we're ultimately celebrating what God has done. We're celebrating what God has powerfully done in us that we could never do for ourselves. We're witnessing his grace at work in us and testifying to his goodness to his people. Did you notice that Paul is not thanking Philemon for his great love? He's not thinking, man, you really self-started that faith. You did a great job. No, who does Paul always thank through the scriptures? He thanks God, the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift. Gift from love to faith to peace to joy to hope. It's all a precious and a gracious gift from God and God alone. So God gets all the glory. None of us can stir up genuine love and care for one another. Our sinful nature is selfish by nature. We're self-centered. Sin turns it ourselves in on ourselves, Paul Tripp says. I know that's true for me, and I know it's true for you outside of Christ. None of us can muster up a treasuring, trusting faith in Jesus. Our hearts are too dead in our trespasses and sins. You didn't do that. You could not do that. You were desperately in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. You were in desperate need of supernatural grace to come in and to take your loveless and faithless heart and to fill it with love and to fill it with faith by the power of his Holy Spirit working in your life. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, man, to be honest, Lance, my heart is still very selfless, selfish. My faith is, is dead. I don't believe in, in Christ. I'm still dead in my trespasses and sins. I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, the good news is the Bible says that if we repent of our sins, if we turn from our sins and we turn and cast ourselves on Jesus, the good news is that you don't have to be self-centered anymore. You don't have to be selfish anymore. You get to be turned away from yourself to live for the glory of God and to live for the joy of others. And here's the good news. You're not left out. God will fill you with joy like you've never seen before in Jesus. So why wouldn't you just repent of your sins, repent of your selfishness, repent of the lifelessness that you've been living, repent and turn to Jesus to find Love and joy and forgiveness that can only come in Him. Church, when we praise what is praiseworthy, 
We are ultimately praising our good and glorious God. When we receive joy for all that's going on in here, we are really increasing all our joy in Jesus. When we celebrate grace that we celebrate in one another, we're actually celebrating blood-bought gifts from Jesus Christ. When I see your love and I see your joy and I see your peace and I see your faith, you know what I'm saying? Jesus bought that. And we can celebrate this because Jesus did that here. We didn't do that. Jesus did that here. And all glory be to his name. But when we neglect to encourage, we're not only robbing them of joy, we're not only robbing ourselves of joy, we're robbing God of all the glory that he deserves. I'm turning 40 in October. The sighs, I heard them inside, internally, I heard you. Something, it's something I thought a lot about during sabbatical, thinking about, is this the second half of my life coming? When you start hitting these milestones, you pause and you think about the rest of life, and most people, they start asking questions. Do I, do I want to be in this job forever, or should I change to another job? Do I want to live in this city or that city Do I want to run a marathon before I'm old, or am I crazy? Some of my marathon runners are like, you want to run a marathon? Stuff like that. You start thinking about the rest of your life. And one day during sabbatical, this thought hit me. I want to spend my life encouraging others. That's such a simple thing to think about it, about but such a profound impact that your life would have if, to live for just that. I want to live my life to encourage others. I want to be quick to see evidences of grace in my kids. I want to see, be quick to see evidences of grace in my wife and in each one of you. And I, so much so that I have to talk about it. I don't want to rob you of joy and I don't want to rob God of glory. I want to be a Christian who stirs up joy in others and who brings glory to God and God alone. Sam Crabtree says, once you do something enough times, you start to get a reputation for it. Once you do something enough times, you start to get a reputation for it. He says, just look at the book of Acts in chapter 4 and you find Barnabas, who's called the son of encouragement. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And my prayer is that the people, when they see me, they won't think, there goes Lance, the, the son of frustration. There goes Lance, the, the glory seeker. There goes my dad, the fault finder. No, but by God's grace, there goes Lance. He's always encouraging me and increasing my joy in Jesus. I want to be a pastor like that. I want to be a father, a husband, a brother to you all like that. I want us to be a church like that. My prayer is that you're saying, I want that too. For your joy, for our joy, for our city's joy, and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would do by the power of your Holy Spirit 
what only your Holy Spirit can do. That you would fill us, Father, with the love of Christ. For those who are new creation, Lord, would you stir up our affections to love like Jesus has loved. Would you stir us up, Lord, that we might love one another and care for one another, that we would no longer be selfish, but we would be selfless like our Savior Jesus. That, Lord, we would no longer be faithless, but we would cling and trust to Jesus, even as we see in Philemon his love and his faith for others. Lord, we need you to do that. Lord, would you stir within us a desire to not only see your grace at work among us, but but have to speak about it for one another's joy and for your glory. Lord, for those that are here right now and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior who's rescued them from their sin, Lord, would you call them to repentance even in this moment? Call them away from their selfishness. Call them away from their faithlessness. Lord, would you save them from their sins that they might live a life for others' joy and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.